welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. How valuable is your social network? Not your Facebook friends, those in real life. Do they have your back? That's all the unfortunate soul on the Jerusalem to Jericho Road needed. Someone that had his back. Lead teacher Randy Pope brings us part three of the series, Loving Generously, which covers Luke chapter 10, verses 27 through 36. Thank you for joining us today. Each week we have new people, and I know that uh, anytime you attend church, you're, you're usually coming into the middle of something, maybe a series like we're doing, and I want to make sure that you can pick up very quickly where we are. We're in a five-week series. This is kind of the midpoint. This is number three of five weeks that we're talking about loving generously, loving generously. Uh, these three weeks, we have uh, last two and now this one, we're in a text in Luke. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. And this is the very, very familiar story of the parable known as the parable of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. And you know the story probably. It's the story of a, of a man who is robbed and beaten and uh, as he is, uh, two people go by, happen to be Jewish people of the highest order. One's a priest, one's a Levite, and they pass by. And then the third comes along who is a Samaritan, a half-Jew, who is uh, disrespected by all Jewish people and seemed to be the, the scum of the earth. And he stops and he shares what he can to help and to take care of the one that's beatings, beaten. So there's the story of the Good Samaritan. What many were shocked to find out last week was when I mentioned that the whole story of the Good Samaritan was not designed for Jesus to tell his people then nor us today, hey, you need to get out there and love people better. Now, that is a true message. We all need to love. We need to, to go further in showing our love than we do. But that was not the intent of giving of the parable. The reason for the parable was simply to show all of us that we cannot love generously enough to find our way into heaven. That's the teaching of the text. It started with a lawyer that comes to Jesus and begins to challenge him. And the challenge is to try to trap him, knowing that Jesus had been making some pretty strong statements such as heaven not being for anyone except people who would eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. He talked about following him, the one means to finding eternal life. And, and so this Jewish lawyer, who is not a civil lawyer, but rather a theologian, he was a he was an expert of the Mosaic law. He knew the Word of God well enough to know that the Bible teaches that in order to have eternal life, you have to keep the commandments of God. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, okay, Jesus, what's required to get into heaven? Let's read the text in chapter 10, and we'll start in, um, in verse Let's say uh, 25, I think it is. 
And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And so this lawyer answers and says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And look what Jesus said, which had to be a shock to the lawyer when he basically agreed and said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live, meaning you will live eternally if you do that. But wishing to justify himself, that is, the lawyer was wanting to make himself think that he was doing all of those things, he asked the question, and who is my neighbor? Now, if we go back to uh, the last two weeks, let me give you a quick summary of where we've been. The first week we talked about the importance of loving generously. The importance of loving generously. We talked there, there were two conditions. I just read the text. But listen, listen to this kind of summary of this that Jesus has taught that the apostle Paul gives in Galatians 5. It's a little interesting. Here's what he says. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. And by the way, that word is love. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he's not taking the requirement of loving God away, but he's simply saying the real issue is love. And I think that what he's saying is, boy, if you love your neighbor as yourself, let me tell you, it's because you've loved your God. That always has to precede it. Regardless of the case, isn't it interesting that he focuses on loving your neighbor? That's where the Apostle Paul rivets his attention. Very interesting. You see, the first teaching that we looked at, and we'll put it up, is that the practice of loving generously is one of two conditions required for eternal life, loving God and loving your neighbor, two conditions. Uh, we talked about at the close of that message that it's uh, like the, uh, the fruit on trees. The fruit does not create life. The fruit reveals life. And so we see this law. We have to keep the law of loving God and loving our neighbor. So we say, well, I think I love my neighbor. I think I, I love my God. So I guess I qualify, do I not? And the lawyer could say that. So then we look, number two, at the essence. And so point two, as you can see in your outline, says the essence of loving generously is to love one's neighbor as oneself. And so you see the extent in verse 27. We've already looked at it, but let me put it up again. He answered and said, you must love your God. And look what he says, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. And then when he talks about your neighbor, he says, oh, and by the way, love your neighbor, not just love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Who can do either? The answer, nobody. And that's what... That's what Jesus was trying to get across. Here's a guy thinking, well, I love my God and I love my neighbor. I'm not sure that you're on track, Jesus, but I know I keep the law. And what he's saying is, you don't keep the law because you don't love your God with all of your heart. Does anybody here know? You don't love your neighbor, meaning all of your neighbors, regardless who they are, even in the same way you would love yourself, no way. There's nobody who does that. He's talking about here a love that loves 
even when it's not desirable to do so. It's talking about somebody who is going to show incredible love when in the midst of unmet needs to set aside all of your own desire and your will and your interest and your time and everything else and say, you know what, doesn't matter, you're more important. And that's why he gave the parable of the Samaritan. Now, I'd like for you to look at number three with me because we move now this week into the issue of who is the recipient of such love. The rightful recipient of generous love is anyone who is legitimately worthy of mercy. I worded that that way for a purpose. So who is legitimately worthy of mercy? Well, we need to answer the question, what is mercy? So we know. Mercy is actually giving to people what they need, though not deserving of anything. How often do we find ourselves giving to people in need because we think, well, you deserve better? But no, mercy is giving to people who they don't deserve. By the way, when we give to people who, who are in need, but they deserve it, you know what we call that? That's called kindness. Interesting to make the distinction between kindness and love, or kindness and mercy. I mean, mercy, oh, it's a whole lot different than kindness. In fact, the reality is when we are, though mercy is kind, and we have to admit when you show mercy, you're being kind, but it's not necessarily true that when you show kindness that you are showing mercy. And what we've got is Jesus talking a whole lot more about the idea of, of mercy than he ever talks about kindness. I bet that there are a lot of us here, a lot of us here who are known for our kindness. If people were to see and talk about us in private with us not there, uh, perhaps there would be a lot of, of very gracious conversations. Say, what a kind woman she is. What a kind man. And indeed, be correct. No question showing kindness. But then we ask the question, to whom are they showing kindness? Whether well, friends who are in need, the people who have meant the world to them, and how many of us here find ourselves so available, so quick, so ready, so caring for any of our good friends that have any need, we'll drop anything and say, I'm running right to you, I'm going to take care of you. And people say, what a kind person. And though that's a very good thing, Jesus is talking about showing mercy. He's saying show mercy to people who don't deserve because they're not going to give back a friendship. They're not going to give back anything that helps you in any way. That's mercy. Look how Jesus put it in Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, in verse 32, it says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is it? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. 
But love your, love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Notice that's enemies. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, meaning you will give evidence of being the Son of God. And then he closes out saying, For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Which raises a question we've got to address. Does that mean we give to everybody, everybody we see when they don't have as much as we think they should need or they think they should need? Should we, should we give it to them? And I'm going to answer that, not necessarily. We have to make a distinction between showing mercy and enabling I'm going to suggest that this church is packed full of enablers. We are. We, I'm not saying you. We are enablers. What does an enabler do? An enabler says, I see you with something that seems to be very important and so forth, but the truth is it's not best for you to have it, but I'm going to do it for you anyway. You know what I've noticed is that enablers are some of the most compassionate people alive. I mean, so compassionate. And they see somebody who says, oh, I can't, oh, I want to, oh, please. Don't let. Okay, here, 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 here it is. And we don't realize it, but we're not helping them. We're enabling them. You see, because most enablers are probably very compassionate people, the reality is to enable is not a compassionate action. It's not something that's compassionate because we're hurting the very people we feel like we're helping. So now it gets a little muddy. Well, goodness, how do you know when and who and so forth? Let me give you an illustration of how we might be enabling. How about some of us as spouses to our spouse? You know what enabling is? It is assuming responsibility that God has given to your spouse that you have assumed instead of having your spouse have to deal with the consequences of not having done it. Which often means there's consequence to others too. And so in our compassionate heart and care for others, and so we say, okay, I'll just jump in and I'll do what they are not doing, they're responsible to do, but I'll do it instead. And we create the very monsters that we end up divorcing over time because we've really created something that is is not healthy and right and good at all. We've just been enablers. Man, as parents, oh my goodness, how often do we do it as parents? Do you know that overprotecting your children is enabling them? It, it's something that can be so damaging, that seems so good and, and caring right now. Why not? It's, it's no big deal. Oh, it is a big deal to be overprotective. Very often with our children, we say, you know what? I know they've not been responsible, but I so want them to enjoy the privilege. And so we give them privileges without responsibility. We give them money without work. We give them this without realizing that, oh, they're going to be so disappointed. They're going to be so hurt, often motivated by the fact that they don't want to feel the rejection of their children. They say, I don't want my children to think less of me. I want them to love me. And if I give to them, and we give them stuff that creates within them an addiction. And what we do as enablers is we allow our children 
to be born into a lifestyle of pleasure addiction. And now pleasure is so, is so addictive that a responsibility comes along. We say, man, I'd have to give up my pleasure. I can't give it up. It's, it's like a drug to me. I've got to have it and therefore become irresponsible and never really find a life of responsible adulthood as they should find. It's called enabling. We have to make a distinction between kindness and mercy but also between mercy and enabling. We want to be kind, but we've got to go further and show mercy. In showing mercy, we do not want to enable. And so we have to ask the question, is it a need or is it not? What we don't ask is do they deserve it or not? Do they need it? Then yes. If not, then no. Very interesting to see in James how James puts it. I'll just read one verse out of many that are so helpful to read, but uh, right in the middle of a text when he's dealing with this subject matter, he says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Interesting word there is the word choose. I use the text because of that word. Do you know that the word choose there means to go after? It literally carries the idea of moving toward, meaning that God sees us unkind, wicked, evil people deserving nothing but in need, yes, in need. Would it be beneficial if he were to come after us and do something? Yes, it would, and that's what he does. So we're told in our text, now we are to go and show mercy to others as well, meaning he came to us. Now, as we are his children, we move out and go to others. We don't wait till their need comes right before us and imposes upon us. We see the need, and then we go after it. Verses 9 through 13 of the same text it literally talks about this idea of withholding mercy, and it puts it on, the, on the, uh, the same level as murder and adultery. Isn't that interesting? So in the heart of God, God is saying to his people, hey, folks, you've got to be people of mercy, not just kindness, but of mercy. Please don't think you're showing mercy when you're enabling. Mercy is going to people in need and give them what they need, not necessarily what they want. It may be that to give a person on the street of what they're asking for and want is not their greatest need. Maybe they need something that we can give that maybe would truly help them. That's when we want to give. It can still be a little challenging to figure it out from time to time, but basically, here's the bottom line. The question of who is worthy, anyone in true need, not if they're responsible, but are they in need? By giving to them, can we help them more than we hurt them? That's what he's telling us to do. That includes the least and the lost. The least, those who have physical needs. The lost, those who have spiritual needs. And he says, Christian, here's the way your life works. You get up each day and you start on a mission. And you live life. And you're looking. 
and you're saying, who has need around me that I have an opportunity to help to the degree I can? That's what I want to do. Now, I like the way uh, Tim Keller puts it. He says, in reality, you're suspect if that's not the way you live because he writes it like this. The mark of a heart touched by the grace of God will inevitably be led to deeds of compassion shown to the neediest, the most broken, the most ungrateful people we could ever imagine. Well put. Let me close with this. Having heard this teaching, very brief teaching, but having heard the teaching, and the last two, if you were here the last two weeks, do any of you somewhat feel like a failure in the area of love? I hope you do. For one reason, because you're a failure. <laughs> you are. I am too. I mean, that's what Jesus is teaching. Hey, nobody is loving the way we... You can't love enough not to get you into heaven. So he's backdooring the message to say, by the way, the way you get there is you come through me. Because guess what? I am the perfect good Samaritan. And you join my family, and guess what happens? You're credited with my perfect generosity of love. And you will be credited with it, which then qualifies you to go to heaven. It's not by the fact that you keep it. Now, we're going to see next week. We're going to see that this leads to the ability and a new motivation to be able to love more generously, not perfectly as we must to get into heaven. We rely on Jesus for that. But it's still the standard of God's ideal. What, what he loves and blesses his heart. So this is what we look at as we follow in, verses, in uh, truth number four and five. Number four, one cannot generously love others until first being loved generously. We'll address that. And then lastly, after being generously loved, one can't help but to generously love others. We're about to see a, a portion of a movie that we're showing in five parts. The movie is, is one that is telling the story of generous love. If you had been able to see the previous five that we did a series on a year or two ago, you would have seen some of the same characters as they had no idea of what it meant to love generously. And then something happened in their lives. and They were transformed, and they couldn't help but start loving generously. I want to give you the, uh, the, the storyline. The storyline goes like this. Frank and Cassie are a couple who have recently developed a heart for those in need and have invited a young woman from a soup kitchen named Julia to come and stay in their guest home until she can come back on her feet. Julia's past is plagued with bad decisions that have trapped her and put her in debt to G5 the bad man for whom she worked. Frank decided to use the proceeds of the yard sale to help Julia pay back her debt. It's a handful of your, uh, your members of this church who have created this film. I think you'll appreciate their work. Can you see him? White guy, big coat, bald head. That's him. That's G5. 
that money right? Yeah. This is a good idea, right? When someone needs your help, it's always a good idea. He lost. We just want to talk to you about Julia. You want to talk to the girls? Talk to the girls. We want to talk to you. I don't think you do. Oh, everybody, calm down. Ray? That's true, Graham. She doesn't know you anything anymore. Leave her alone. You tell her this buys her a month. Well, now hang on. You said two grand. Man, get lost. Please. You're under arrest. What? Hands behind your back now. Come on, man. I didn't do anything. And that goes for the rest of you as well. You're under arrest for solicitation. What? What? Hands behind your back. Hey. I'm telling you, this is a misunderstanding. What's that? A misunderstanding? You hear that, guys? You both owe me 20 bucks. It's always a misunderstanding. Just call my wife. She'll tell you. Wait. You want me to call your wife? Yeah, this is really not what it looks like. She'll back us up. Can't wait till the guys down at the club hear about this one. I'm sure they'll sort it out. I knew you guys were gonna be a corrupting influence on me. <laughs> oh, please. Are we disturbing your evening? Uh, yeah, actually. You got me arrested. You deserve to get arrested. You must be Julia's white knight. <laughs> Guess that makes sense. What's that supposed to mean? She had to find a blind dude to look past what she is. You have no idea what she is. If either of us needed saving, it was me. Look, G5, all we want is for Thomas and Julia to be able to move on without looking over their shoulder. So why don't you just take the money and be done with it? Don't lecture me. You gotta sit over there and make jokes because you know you gotta get out of jail free card. Because we didn't do anything illegal. Oh, because you got friends. You guys get locked up, make a phone call, somebody does you a favor. You think they ain't gonna find a reason to keep me locked up? Even after you guys go free for some misunderstanding? Oh, please. No, he's right. How many people you have that you can call when you need help? Food, money, a place to crash. People think the worst thing about being poor is not having money. When you're really poor, it ain't about the money. When you have nothing, it's like you're on one side of a wall and everybody else and everything you need is on another side and you can't do nothing about it. But your problem is that you want to get out of jail free card for yourself. It doesn't work that way. Don't act like you know me. I don't know you. But I know what it's like to ride a garbage truck every day, going down the same street, seeing the same people, picking up the same trash. And those people give tips to the mailman, but don't think twice about me. But it's not about what people can do for you. It's about what you can do for them. You think it's nice having those young ladies owe you? I'll tell you something better. How about having God himself owe you? I don't expect you much of a Bible reader, 
But the Bible says when you're kind to the poor, God himself is in your debt. You're on the wrong side of the deal, man. Come in with me. We got your wife on the phone. We got to run out the chain, but the story seems to be checking out. Hey, hold on. What about Julia? Frank, are you guys okay? When the world happened? It's a long story. We'll tell you all about it when we get there. At least tell us what happened with the G5 guy. Yeah? Okay. Oh, wow. Thank you enough, Chuck. No problem. Just invite me to the wedding. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I have it right now if I could. I'm so relieved. You know, um, technically, I'm an ordained minister. I know you're joking, but I actually might take you up on that. No, I'm not joking, brother. You just say the word. Hey, quick question. Do you still have your wedding dress? Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a good story. It's one that you can carry with you and remember. And I want us to find an application from it. He talked about in there how those that are disenfranchised and the poor and so forth, that uh, their real issue is not their poorness and lack of money. It's social capital, which is what each of us, most all here, enjoy. What if this week... We just kind of, as if we put on new glasses, were to walk through our regular daily schedule, not trying to add new activity, but just walk through our daily schedule, who we see, who we bump into, who we pass by, and begin to think, would there be an expression of mercy that God would have me to extend to them having nothing in response in terms of a payback? wonder what would happen if there were hundreds, thousands of little events that took place all week long because of what we've just been taught and what we've been looking at in this movie. I think some unusual things could happen. As you do those things, keep in mind, they don't earn your favor with God. They come about because of favor with God. Therefore, go to Christ. Thank Him every day that it is His generous love that's credited to your account and to my account, which enables us to in turn wear those glasses and look out every day. I hope this week is going to be a life-changing week for many people because of your and my life. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege to be able to see this story as it's developing and to follow along as our emotional Strings are tugged a little bit, perhaps, as we watch and compare our own life with uh, those of 
of the ones that we've seen in this movie. We pray, Father, that you would give us some, some new sightings this week, some new opportunities and new joy that comes from serving others, having nothing in response in terms of receiving. So God grant that, and thank you that you, you came to us and you chose us. And now, Father, we want to serve others as you've served us. So thank you for the privilege, and we pray all in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.